0: Good morning, Every Nation, Somerset West, my family down in South Africa. If you didn't know I was family, just think of me as your favorite cousin that you didn't know you had. Um, but in all seriousness, uh, my wife Carla and I have had a relationship with your church since 2005, Um, then our church itself in focus here in Evans, Georgia has been traveling to and working alongside, uh, your church. And then also Timbalicha, uh, since 2007, we've been coming annually. And then even on a more personal note, uh, all of my family has been there or in the case of our two youngest children are from there. We adopted, both Issy and Zano from South Africa, and now Issy is 14 and Zano is 11, Uh, along with our other children, Caleb, Josiah, and Anna, and our oldest son, Caleb, has now married to his wife, Jasmine, and have been married since January of this year. So that's a little bit about me and my wife, Carla. Uh, We love your church, we love your people, we love your leaders, and I appreciate Pierre asking me to do this, and I find it a privilege and an honor. So let's dig into God's word today. I want to talk about uh, the opportunity that we have in the craziness of this world uh, to still trust God as you are walking through a message series in Psalms. And let me say also, as a side note, I hope that we get to come down there again soon, uh, that everything does settle down enough to where we can meet you face to face once again. Now, let's talk about pain. In the classic movie, Rocky III, I say classic, maybe it isn't to you, but it is to me, Clubber Lang predicted pain for Rocky. But long before that, Jesus and Paul predicted pain for Christians, for believers, difficulty that we would face in this life. So pain comes in many different forms. And no matter how small or how monumental, because we're not going to compare each other's pain, it still causes sorrow to creep into our hearts and lives. Loneliness, sickness, unfulfilled longings, a lost friendship, financial hardship, ongoing conflict in your marriage, infertility, terminal illness, adultery, miscarriages, a failed adoption, the death of a loved one, a wayward child, racism, hatred, abuse, and on and on and on. Pain and sorrow are an unwelcomed but normal part of life here in this life. And the longer we live, the more pain we're going to go through. I hope you're encouraged already. But the truth of the matter is, since we don't just want to go through things in this life, as Christians, we want to grow through things in this life. What's our response to pain and difficulty and sorrow? If you could imagine with me for a minute that there are two chairs in a large room on opposite ends of the room. And if you could imagine with me that in one chair on one side of the room is God. Now, theologically, we don't put God in a box or a chair. But if you will, just go with me in this metaphor for a moment that in this chair is God. And he's waiting to engage in a conversation with you. But where God is, there is joy. There is a a pleasure evermore, the word says. There's peace, there's rest, and there is the promises of God. All of that is encompassed in Him and in His character and where He is. And let's imagine on the other side of the room is the chair that you and I are supposed to occupy. It's not because God's not with us, He is, but we oftentimes feel like there's a distance between God and us. It's not God, it's us. So there's this chair and there's this distance, if you will, and we're not having an easy time in life. We're going through one of those situations or something else that I just mentioned. And maybe that's you where it's difficult. It's painful. Your life is, is full of maybe sorrow right now. So the distance between where you are and your difficulty and pain and sorrow and the distance to where God feels like he is in your life, there's a gap. So how do we close the gap of the pain and life that you're experiencing and the presence and the promises of God? How do we close that gap? So you're in a series and we're uh, joining with you in that series entitled Planted, I believe, looking at Psalms. And your pastor has gone through a couple already. But I want to preach about using biblical lament to flourish as a tree planted beside the water, right, to flourish in a season of suffering. Question, who taught you to cry? Now, it's a rhetorical question, so don't hurt yourself as you begin to think about that and ponder that. But no one taught you to cry. Have you ever thought about how you entered the world? For those of you who are parents or grandparents or have been around for the birth of a child, We understand that no child enters into this world laughing and smiling. Ever considered that? That would be really odd, right? But instead, we enter into this life with like massive protest, crying and screaming as if we just don't want to come into the difficulties of this world. Here's what we understand. To cry is human, but to lament is entirely Christian. As we affirm that the world is broken, but God is sovereign. That life is hard, but God is good. That we are fickle and we will fail, but God has been and always will be faithful. So to answer the question that I just asked a moment ago about bridging the gap, lament is what bridges the gap between the pain of this life and the promises of God. Lament, what we find in the Psalms, stands in the gap between pain and promise. As a musician, and that's what I grew up doing, singing and then playing the piano, spent my college career doing that, and then even in ministry as a worship leader. But as a musician, I understand the difference between a major chord and a minor chord. And whether you're a musician or not, you orally understand the difference. You will will emotionally sense the difference in a song that's in a major key versus a song that's in a minor key. Well, the book of Psalms is actually a book of songs. That's what that is. And one third of the 150 Psalms that have been written are what we would say are songs, prayers in a minor key. So with that being the case, the reason biblical lament is important to the believer is it provides a pathway from heartache to hope. The space between the two chairs, if you will, of where we feel like we are and where we feel like God is, is the space between our brokenness and God's mercy. This is where the minor key song, the minor key prayer begins to be used by us and why the biblical pattern of lament is so important as we navigate seasons of sorrow in this life. This is why I hope That you will be encouraged today to add something to the lexicon of your worship and your prayers. First, another question. With a third of the Psalms being in a minor key, why do we avoid lament in the church, generally speaking? I don't know about you, but I've not often preached on lament. I don't hear many messages out of the book of Lamentations, even, which is a lament. But this is where the tension in the church comes in, where we have victory, yes, in Christ, but then also the difficulty of this life. It could be a reflection of maybe a unbalanced affinity towards being triumphant and prosperous. Some might even argue that lament is a lack of faith, but here's what I would say. I don't believe lament is a lack of faith. It is a demonstration of maturing faith. Maybe you could say that with me again. Lament is a display of a lack of faith, but a demonstration of a maturing faith. Psalm 77, starting in verse one. If you have your Bible with you where you are, you could turn there. I'm gonna go through a couple of Psalms, but this one in particular will start in Psalm 77 and walk through this one together before turning to another. This is a psalm of lament. It says this in verse one. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble, I seek the Lord. In the night, my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. Let's talk about the chair that we are supposed to occupy in this relationship with God. This will sound elementary, but it's vital if we're going to walk this lament out. The first step of biblical lament that we see in scripture is that we would cry out to God. It seems obvious, but I can say for me an obvious action doesn't always mean that I actually do it. Maybe you're very similar in that case. It takes faith to pray in pain. It's an act of faith to open up our hearts to God honestly and be brutally honest with him about what we're dealing with and what we're going through. He knows already, but it is for our benefit that we do so. We often choose, if you're like me, to not sit down, to not begin to pray and cry out to God. If we think God doesn't care, or he hasn't answered like we hoped, or doesn't hear us, then we just don't even bother to sit down in the chair and engage with God by turning to him and crying out to him. But that's where the biblical lament starts. Because if you think you're just going to get over it on your own, you never will. Let's keep reading. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. Selah. "'You hold my eyelids open. "'I am so troubled that I cannot speak.'" This is a reminder, really, like you hold my eyelids open. this is ongoing is what he's saying. It's a reminder that this song and this prayer in a minor key, that this lament isn't going to necessarily be brief or quickly answered by God. Like I don't get to put my prayer into the microwave like I do my favorite snack at night, popcorn, and then three minutes later, my snack is done or three minutes later, my prayer's over and God has answered. That's not how it's usually going to work. This time, takes relational time. It's what I do when I sit down at the piano at times and just begin to sing to God. I don't have an answer. I don't really even know what to say, but I just sit down and I begin to cry out to God. And one of the things that I often come to is, God, you're going to handle this one day. One day, maybe not today, maybe not tomorrow, maybe not a whole lot of tomorrows, but one day, God, you're going to answer and restore. One day, God, you're going to redeem and make this right. One day, God, this season is going to change, but we don't close the gap between where we are in this imperfect world and a loving God unless we first take a seat and begin to cry out to him in lament and prayer. What do we say when we pray? What's the language of the lament prayer? Well, let's watch in verse seven and nine as the questions start coming. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Selah, this is like opening up your heartfelt journal and letting God see the questions that you're afraid to ask. Or maybe you were taught that you shouldn't ask God. This is why praying honestly is a prayer of faith. Anybody can cry. But it takes faith to lament and cry out to God in pain. Let's keep reading. Verse 10 and 12, the psalmist starts sing praying about God's deeds in the past. Remembrance or remembering God correctly, which is a biblical theme. He says, then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. The remembering is the basis of his faith. And it's in the Most High, which is really important. He's going all the way back to Abraham's encounter with God. He's remembering the Most High there or the Lord, capital L-O-R-D, the mighty covenant keeping God. And he remembers his mighty deeds, his miracles, his works. Why? He's remembering the faithfulness of God in the present. Or he's remembering the faithfulness of God in the past to help him persevere in the present to help him petition in the present. He's going back to all the things that God has done to encourage him. This is Christian Faith 101. To persevere, we must remember what God has done and repeat over and over and over again. This also signals a shift in the prayer, a closing of the gap, if you will, between where we feel like we are and where God is between the tension of a good God and the reality of a painful situation or a difficult season of life, we begin to close that, that gap because lament is the opportunity to remind our hearts who God is and who he's always been, faithful. While we're still in pain, we remind our hearts what we know to be true about God. That's what the psalmist is doing here. Lament is the song of weeping people that we sing while we're walking through the valley. As I'll say in a moment, again, it's the song of exiles. Next, we bring our complaint. We cry out to God and we bring our complaint. Complaining to God seems weird, right? Like this is where it gets really weird. Like I should have complained to God, but the Bible is full of complaints. And the man after God's own heart, David, is one of the chief complainers. And since many of these songs, psalms were set to music and sung by the choir in a worship service, Let's just go ahead and free ourselves from guilt and and know that these types of prayers and songs are okay. They're okay with God. Now understand, we're not talking about anger and complaining for complaining's sake. I'm talking about complaining as a believer with hope. Complaining and being honest and admitting that we're sad, afraid, frustrated, and confused. That's okay. But we complain with hope. We complain on the basis of our strong belief that God is good, that God is sovereign, that he is more than able to fulfill every promise that is yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Lament, here we go, is the language of exiles who believe God's sovereignty and goodness, but live in a world of pain and tragedy. Look at Psalm 10. Let's turn over to there. Verse 1. And we're going to read, again, another lament from the psalmist. And here's what he says. Psalm 10, verse 1. Lord, why, O oh Lord, do you stand far away? Why do you hide yourself in times of trouble? The psalmist is like, why are you way over there, God? Why are you on the other side of the room? Why are you not close? He even uses the name Yahweh, which is like this big, powerful awesome name of God in essence he's saying you're the great I am and I feel like you're not helping me like it's literally like he's saying you're God but I don't feel like you're being very godly right now and then question two why are you hiding from me and there's real emotional meaning in this like why are you withdrawn why are you ignoring why are you pretending to be one thing while actually being another and that feels really weird doesn't it like that can't be right But lament gives voice to the frustrations and the hard questions that we have of why it looks like pain and suffering are winning and there isn't any justice or consequences for evil. Have you ever felt that way? Do you feel that way right now? Well, you're in good company. How long, O oh Lord, or why have you forsaken me? I just want you to know that you are allowed to bring your frustrations and your questions to God. He's the best place for them anyway. Even if your struggle is with God himself, he can handle that. He's the only one who can close the gap between your pain and his promise for your life. He's the only one that can apply his healing grace to your heart in a difficult season. Actually, your questions can be the very thing that God uses to work in your life. If you read on in Psalm 10, verse two through seven, and I won't take the time to do it, but I encourage you to do so. You'll see the importance of telling God how frustrated you are, because those next five verses are really just the psalmist voicing his frustrations of how it looks like the evil one is winning. And as you go through the end, it says basically in the last verse, his mouth is filled, verse 7, with cursing and deceit and oppression. Under his tongue is mischief mischief and iniquity. Basically, he's frustrated. Where's the justice, he's asking. Why does the oppressor keep getting away with everything and even looks like they're being blessed and I'm not? But the voicing of these frustrations is actually a pathway to greater intimacy with God. Be specific, be specific with your frustrations. Let it push you towards God, not away. The more honest you are with Him, the better. Because He already knows. He's already there with you. I can remember times in my own life of getting out of the bed and, and just walking to the bathroom trying to start the day and just feeling overwhelmed with discouragement. And in the times that I was actually seeking God and trying my best to to get that and not just go with the discouragement. I would just begin to say, God, here's what I'm frustrated about. Here's what I'm sad about. Here's what I'm hurt about. And as I began to voice those things, it began to take the power and they began to lose the grip on my heart. When you honestly voice your complaint and frustration, it will actually draw you closer to God in his presence as you begin to receive his perspective of what you're going through. Again, I want to reiterate, this isn't a time to tell God off and walk away. That's not what we're doing. This is a time to humbly sit down in the chair of his presence, cry out to God, begin to close the gap between your pain and his promises, and then through honestly voicing your complaints and frustrations, begin to grow in intimacy with him. Pain and frustration will tempt you to walk away, but I want to encourage you to sit down and be honest and lament because that will give you the vehicle to actually draw near to God instead of walking away from him matter of fact hebrews eleven six. you may be familiar with that verse says that we can boldly approach the throne of grace in our time of need and it also says actually in hebrews eleven six, this is what it says and without faith it's impossible to please god i actually quoted another scripture from hebrews for whoever would draw near to god must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him the last part is basically saying this that we have faith in god's moral character And if we didn't, there's really no reason to lament or sit down at all. But if we trust that God is good, we'll begin to approach him and boldly in faith lament to him. Now, let's turn to Psalm 22. In August of 2017, as you're beginning to get there, we had a solar eclipse so we all got our solar eclipse glasses and we did what our parents told us to never do. And we sat and we stared at the sun. At least that's what I did. I got a chair. I drove home. I sat down on the chair, put my glasses on, and I looked up and stared at the sun until all of a sudden it went dark. I mean, the, everything started happening. The birds started chirping. The crickets started going off like it was night and it was the middle of the day. It was amazing. But what we do know as, as the uh, eclipse began to happen is the sun didn't disappear. The sun didn't go away. It was just overshadowed. This is what happens in the lament as we begin to go to God and boldly ask him for help. So watch this. As we confidently call upon God to act in accordance with his character, there begins to be a shift from our complaints and frustrations and questions of why and how long and what's going on to boldly asking God for help based on what He has done what he has promised and who he really is. Much like the solar eclipse, the whys and the frustrations are not gone, but they begin to slowly be eclipsed by who God is and what he has promised and what he has done in the past. Or we could say it this way, we become overwhelmed by God's presence and he overshadows our pain and sorrow and suffering. Let's read Psalm 22, 1 and 2. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. This is worship in the midst of waiting. This is songs, prayers in a minor key. But right after those two complaints, we see a suspended chord. If you'll go with the musical metaphor for a moment, there's a shift from the minor key in my life to the major king in my life. King David shifts his attention from what he's going through and the pain and the difficulty to who God is with two powerful words, yet you. This is a yet you that closes the gap between the complaint that I have and my bold ask of God for help. Yet you are holy and on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you, they cried and were rescued. In you, they trusted and were not put to shame. And you can see and hear the shift in the language from me, myself, and I to focusing on God, lifting our eyes up to the perfecter of our faith from ourselves to God. And David repeats this pattern over and over again, the next five verses, but in his pain and feeling like God has forsaken him and left him and his enemies are winning and he's losing. He is anchoring his soul to who God is and what God has done in the past. My friends, this is the pivot point and the shifting for us in our prayer of lament that even while your questions go unanswered, you cling to who God is and what he has done. Lament Psalms in particular anchor us to the yet you of God's character. As we declare the character of God, we begin to gain greater confidence to ask boldly for his help based on who he is, not on the pain and frustration of the moment. Yet you means I choose to follow the character of God to eclipse the questions of my pain. The grace of lament is that it invites us to pray boldly, even when we're bruised badly. So now the character of God comes to the forefront of the psalmist's mouth. And as we begin to draw to this ending of this prayer of lament, we begin to see where it's leading. He's boldly asking God for help. He's desperate for God's help. Doesn't your desperation change the way you pray? Well, that's exactly what happens here. But we have to make the transition from complaining to the asking. And I'll belabor this point, even though I don't have much time, even for a moment, because some people don't want help. They just want to complain. Don't let that be you because sometimes we become so adept and so used to complaining that we're not sure how to transition to asking for God's help and receiving it. The children of Israel became professional complainers. They were so adept at complaining and it kept them out of the promised land. It seems that an axiom begins to grow out of this type of life. If complaining becomes your profession, God's promises won't ever be your possession. We're bringing our complaint to God so we can ask for his intervention, not just his ear. Do we want help or do we just want to be heard? I want God's help because I don't want to be comfortable to complain. I want to be healed from my pain. Psalm 22, 11, be not far from me for trouble is near and there is none to help. Verse 19, but you, O oh Lord, do not be far off. far off. O oh, you, my help, come quickly to my aid. Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You've rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. This is actually a blessing right now that we see because it's pushing the psalmist closer to God because I'm powerless. This is what the psalmist is doing in the lament. This is what we do in the lament. This is a blessing of suffering that it pushes us closer to God. And because God is so wise, our desperate cries and requests become bold prayers of faith, anchored to who we believe God is, and we begin to grow and mature. So the goal is not just to get relief, but to rely upon God exclusively. And you know why we get to ask boldly? I misspoke this verse earlier. It's because Jesus has made a way for us boldly to approach the throne of grace. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16, in our time of need. When is my time of need? Probably like yours, all the time. Jesus was known as a man of sorrows. He knows the sorrows of injustice, hypocrisy, false accusations, physical weakness, temptations, betrayals, feeling abandoned and forsaken. He knows the sting of physical pain and torturous abuse. Jesus lived a life of lament because he understood deeply and we should begin to ask boldly because of that. Don't become a professional complainer. Bring your complaint to God. Boldly ask for his help. Jesus is waiting for you to do that let this increase your confidence in God, which leads to the final step, we would choose to trust God. Lament is a means to an end. And in that end, we affirm our trust in God through faith-filled worship in God. Lament is the ability to endure, the encouragement to persevere. It's the song and the prayer between the now of where we are and the not yet of what we will be in Christ forever. It is the thing that stands between your pain and your current reality and your burning hope for things yet unseen. That's faith. That lament would lead to faith-filled worship. That lament would lead to the yet you. There is one last portion of a Psalm. It's in Psalm 13. Verse five, it says, but I have trusted in your steadfast love. My heart shall rejoice in your salvation. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. This is the faith-filled worship. This is not the yet you, but it's very similar. It's but I, yet you, so I, yet you, but I will do this. Even though I'm going through this, this is going to be my response. I'm going to choose to trust you. I'm going to sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me. I'm making that shift. You can make that shift of just complaining to trusting in God, trusting in who he is, affirming what he's already done in history and in your life, and trusting that he will accomplish his purpose and every good thing that he has planned for you. Because of you, God, I will trust and worship you. That's where we want to land. I will sing to the Lord because he has dealt bountifully with me that our destination is trust in faith-filled worship. See, lament is just another way to seek God, and I want to encourage you to do that. As always, we take our heart cries and our pain to the cross. We take all of our questions and frustrations to another tree, a cross. This is the place where God reminds us that his tree was planted in the ground so that we could trust him because he's proven his love for us and that we could sing with faith-filled worship because he hung on a tree for our benefit. That our roots of the tree of our life can go down deep through the pains and the difficulties that we share with him in this life. The cross reminds us that Jesus has bought the right to make things right and he will one day. But in the meantime, lament is the biblical way we can affirm this truth through tears. We cry out to God. We voice our complaint. We sing and pray and worship in a minor key. This is the biblical lament, remembering that one day it will be exactly as Revelation 21.4 describes it. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain for the former things have passed away. This is when the earthly lament will have reached its final and desired destination. Worship for the Lamb of God forever and ever. I hope you're encouraged today to add the lament to your life in praying and crying out to God. He loves you, my friend. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, would you just pour out your spirit upon your people here in Somerset West, on the leaders, on its members, on the mission, and all the things that they're doing. But wherever they find themselves today, Whatever difficulty they're facing right now, and I I know there are plenty, wherever they are, God, would you meet them? And I pray right now that every brother and sister that's listening would be encouraged to cry out to you in this manner, to be honest before you, to voice every complaint, bring it to the cross, and begin to trust you in faith-filled worship, because you're worthy of that. In Jesus' name, amen.